that thing's a Yamaha, it says. Brother Larry, I had an old Yamaha bike. I could do a wheelie in third gear, but I believe you had that thing there in overdrive. Amen? <laughs> I was looking at Stephen. I thought you was going to get up and dance, boy. You got your Bible this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians. And this is not where it needs to be. Nope. There should be two more before that. My thing ain't working either. But anyway... If you got there, we'll go ahead and read this passage this morning. I want to talk to us about why does God choose us? You ever thought about that? He chose us, the Bible says. If you look with me here, as they're figuring that out, if you look with me here in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says something that kind of caught my attention. Last week we was looking at how God, many are called, but few are chosen. And I want you to look at what Paul says right here. If you look at verse 26 of chapter 1, for you see your calling, brethren, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world, put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things, that's the things that are lowly, the lowly things of the world. And the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that they, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Do y'all have it working yet? It's not going in either direction. Well, anyway, we'll go ahead and get ahead. But if you think about this, why does God choose us? The first thing that comes to his head, he chooses because he loves us. And that's certainly a motivation. And as high of a motivation to God and the greatness of his love for us, that's not the highest and most important reason he chose us. You see, the verse that we stopped at says that God chooses those that are lowly. There we go. As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but he says that no flesh should glory in the flesh but that all flesh, that's people, should glory in the Lord. So God doesn't choose the kind of people that we think he would choose. He says in that text right there that he chooses the weak. He chooses the despised. I don't know about y'all today, but if you're honest with yourself, we're imperfect people. We have a lot of flaws. In fact, if you are purpose, you better get up and run because if you come here, we're going to mess you up. Because we don't want perfect people here because God ain't looking for perfect people. God can't help perfect people, and perfect people want all the glory for themselves. God's looking for people who realize they're broken, that they have been marred by sin, and that they were created for his glory, but that they have sinned and fallen short of that glory. And now those who were created in his image, the greatest of all of his creation, with more potential than anything else he created to bring him glory, now we are the ones who break his heart the most. Because we sin. And because of sin, we are scarred and we are broken. And God is not looking for perfect people today to serve him, to give glory to his name. He's looking for people today who realize that they're not what they think they are. Now, the world's looking for people who are perfect. 
The world's looking for the, for the, the strong and the mighty. They're looking for those who are noble, who have places in positions that bring people attention. But as we read this morning, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not made or called. Now I want you to tell us, he didn't say any. He said not any are called, he said, but not many. God does save people who are wonderfully blessed and have all kinds of natural abilities, but he don't choose many like that. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are mighty. The world prides themselves in their wisdom. The world prides themselves in their strength and their power. But God's looking for people who understands that when I am weak, he is strong. That my strength is not in myself, but in him. Look at what he finally says, the base things, the lowly things, the things are despised. If there's one thing the world despises, it's weakness. It's people who are not mighty and people who are not wise. But you see, God chooses us not only because he loves us. You see, we're, there's really of no value to us of God outside the fact that God finds value. And you see, he doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loves us. And when he loves us and we enter into that relationship with him and we begin to know him, he takes earthen vessels, cracked, broken pots, and he puts the treasure of himself inside of us. Why? So that when the world looks at us, they don't see beautiful vessels. They see broken vessels, but they see the treasure that's within us. It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. And when Jesus is the one who's doing it through us, that's why he's looking for people who are weak, people who are not wise. As a matter of fact, if you look at what God's looking for, the church is not looking for what God wants. You see, the church today is under this illusion, we're under this impression that to achieve great things for God, greatness is required. Now, how many of you think today that you are great in the eyes of God? Because let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Anything we have to give to God was given to us by grace. Amen? Everything we have comes from God. Listen, to accomplish mighty things for God, we think mighty men are needed. We, we are under, the, we're to impress the world for God. We do not need to be impressive people. You see, the things that the world are impressed with are the things that God despises. The things that the world is proud of is the things that God says don't even love the things of the world. For if you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not even in you. And so we need to come to a, an understanding today that I think we all will agree with. According to our text this morning, God is looking for weak, foolish nobodies. <laughs> and I don't know about you. I'm saying, Lord, I think I can register, and so I believe I can give you my resume. Amen? <laughs> He's not looking for people who have all their ducks in a row, who thinks they got it figured out. He's looking for people who realize they didn't have it figured out, and that's why you got where you are, and that's why you're here today saying, Help me, Jesus. I need help. If people look at us and they think we're mighty and smart and strong and we're, we have these positions that all the world adores and looks for, then they're going to glory in our flesh. But God loves the people who are broken. And I want you to think about this. 
Brother Marty Guidry said this the first time I ever heard it. And he used to go around saying this. He said, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. You ever heard that? There's a song that came out now. Y'all probably have heard it. And it's by um, Mark Hall wrote it. And, and man, I think Brother Marty might could claim some rights to this song because he's been going around saying that saying forever. But he says, why you ever choose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quites, with all the other get rights. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Have y'all heard that song? Because I'm just a nobody. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but God's looking for people like that. Mark Hall, that's what he wrote. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since he rescued me, he gave me here a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Now I want you to think about this. When you look in the Bible, it amazes me the people who God called. I don't know about y'all, but I wouldn't have picked the 12 apostles he picked. They were messing up all the time. Peter putting his foot in his mouth. Um, they all would mess up. I mean, here it is. He's been teaching them, trying to show them about the love of God. He's been with them almost for his entire three-year ministry. And then John and James would come by. Hey, Lord, hey, there's some people down there who's trying to follow us, and they don't, they, they don't believe in you. Can we call down thunder and fire from heaven and destroy them? And the Lord said, that's not what we're about. You know, there's a lot of us, when we look at the people that God chose, they didn't have a clue what he was about. And they wasn't able to do the things he asked them to do, but he chose them anyway. Friends, I want you to think about this. The things that God chooses is not what the world would choose. He's not looking for people who can run corporate businesses. He's not only looking, those things are good. He does save those type people if they're humble enough to realize they need it. But the majority of the people God used are look around. They're the people that the world doesn't have anything to do with. He uses people that the world wouldn't give a second look. Perfect example that I want us to look at is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. How many of you knows the story of David? Guys, I don't know about y'all, but when I look at the story of David, it encourages me that you don't have to be where you're supposed to be for God to come into your life and make a difference. David, when God called David to be his second king. Even Samuel, the mighty prophet who God had used to anoint and choose his first king to be the voice when he shut down the temple, the ark had been taken and the ark had been in captivity and now Samuel is the great prophet. Even Samuel didn't recognize Daniel. And I want you to think about this. Samuel, who was the first pick for king, looked like a king. The Bible says he stood shoulder and head above everybody else. He came from a recognized noble family within the clans and the tribes of Israel. David was a nobody. You'd have never heard of Jesse the Bethlehemite if you'd have never heard of David. And the only reason you heard of David is because God chose him, not when he was the mighty David, but why he was nothing but a boy shepherd. And God is upset with, Sam, with Saul because Saul is, doesn't have a heart for God. Saul is worried about his position and being king. 
more than he is about being the representative and the leader God called him to be. And Saul doesn't listen to God's voice. God refuses Saul, and he tells Samuel, I have rejected Saul, and I have chosen for me now another king who I'm going to show you. And I want you to look at this. We know the story, but I want us to find some things in it this morning. If you look in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel with me, and you begin to look, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? How many times have we had a charismatic, awesomely gifted, with all kinds of ability, who had unbelievable potential to be a blessing in the leader of God's kingdom, and he failed. Rule number one, God will choose you, but God will also refuse you. He had chosen Saul, but Saul chose not to obey the Lord, not to give him glory with his life, and he chose to seek glory for himself, so he refuses him. Samuel, he's mourning over it. Who wouldn't when a pastor fails when a Sunday school teacher fails it should break our heart and his heart is broke listen what happens it says and Samuel said in verse 2 how can I go if Saul hears it he will kill me you know why because he's telling him get your horn of oil and go where I tell you because I've chosen me a king for myself and when I show him to you I want you to anoint him and he's going to be my new king he said Saul ain't gonna like that Because Saul still wants to be king, even though you said he's no longer king. So Samuel realizes now that the Lord is serious. And look at what it says when you get to verse 3. It says, go and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. He said, when I choose the one, I want you to do. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and they said, do you come peaceably? Verse 5, and he says, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. Now he already knows that one of these sons is God's chosen replacement for Saul, his anointed. Now I want you to look at this. Samuel is a perfect example of how the world is and how the carnal mind operates. Because look at what it says in verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, that was the oldest, the firstborn, and Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. He said, man, he looks like a king. But I want you to notice verse 7 with me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his height or at his stature. Why? Because I have refused him. He said, I ain't pick Eliab. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the Lord said that in David he had found a man after his own heart who would do his will. And friends, you know what God's looking for this morning? Not people with a lot of natural ability. Not people who are educated. Not people who have all these trained and think they have so much to offer and those are good things when they're under the submission of God but friends he's looking for people today more than anything who are willing to do what he asked them to do who are humble enough to say yes Lord here I am send me 
And when he looked at Eliab, he said, he's not the one. Samuel, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at his outward and his height and his stature because that ain't what I look at. And friends, today in the church, what do we want? We want charismatic people who we can look to almost like celebrities. We want pastors who can run the church like a company, like a CEO or something. Friends, I'm tell you what, God's looking for people who will surrender to Jesus' voice and follow him. And that's what God Saul refused. He didn't listen. And now he's got Samuel here to give him a new king. Look at this, verse 8. So Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel. That was the second born. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesus made seven of his sons, I mean, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. You know what happens in the Baptist church? We get to looking for a position. We get desperate. I've heard it. Well, we ain't got nobody else. <laughs> we don't have anybody else. This is better than nothing. But friends, you know what I've come to find? If God hadn't told you, you better not choose them. <laughs> and friends, Samuel would have took the first one. Man, surely he's the anointed. God said, that ain't him. Surely the second guy is. No, that ain't him. But Samuel knew that God had told him, and Jesse's kids, there is my new king. So listen what happens. It says, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all these your young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there is, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for me. We will not sit down till he comes here. I want you to think about this. Even his father never thought to put him in the lineup. <laughs> his father thought, man, he's just our boy shepherd. He's the youngest. He's still tending sheep. He's a kid. Certainly God don't want the prophet to talk to him. Samuel would have never picked him. You would have never picked him. Jesse, his own father, didn't pick him. He brought the oldest in down first. But listen, when God sees Jess, um, David, look how he looks. Look at verse 12. So he sent and he brought him. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now I want to ask you, did God make a good choice? Y'all must have not read your Bible. Did God make a good choice? But guess what? He's still just fresh from the sheep field. Now, we know what happens. Samuel leaves, and the Lord takes the spirit from Saul because he gave the spirit and the anointing to David, and all of a sudden Saul is distressed. Saul is depressed. Saul is struggling. So he says, his men said, look, we, we need to find someone who can play soothing music for you. So we heard of this boy. As a matter of fact, he's one of the sons of Jesse. So they go get David. Now here David comes, and this is what I love about God. He brings his new king, the replacement for Saul, to comfort Saul. Now it wouldn't have comforted Saul if he'd have known that David is the guy God just anointed to take your place. So David shows up. What's David doing? David knows he's been anointed to be king. He's standing with the king who God's refused. What did David do? He played music for him. 
He, he did what God had gifted him to do, to bless the king who God had rejected. The king who he had now anointed and chosen stands, and he blesses that king. And he played music for Saul, and Saul took him and kept him in his house pretty much all the time. And David would go back, and he would tend to his father's sheep, and then he would go back and he would tend and work for Saul. But guys, listen, God, if he chose you and he anointed you, he's going to create a place for you to be used, to be recognized, to be manifested so that people see not you, but him and what he's chosen you for. You know what he did? He got a battle going on. Y'all know about it. It's in the 17th chapter. We're going to read it. He got Saul and the army of God down here on one hill. He got the Philistines and the enemy of God on another hill, and they began to go out. And they acted like two schoolboys in a schoolyard trying to fight. You ever seen it? Come on, I'll fight you. I'll hit you. They just pray and someone gets in the middle and keeps them from really fighting. I'll whoop you. You ever seen Fred Sanford? You better stop me. I'll get him. You better be glad he got before us. I was fixing to kill you. That's what they were doing. They were a bunch of wind. But they wasn't doing anything. They were all talk. And they were coming every day for 40 days. And they would meet. And they'd taunt one another. And then one day... This guy stepped out named Goliath. <laughs> Goliath stepped out. Now I want you to think about this. The world's champion is Goliath. The world is looking for Goliaths, bullies, men who have been trained and have all the advantages and all the natural abilities to dominate and win. And if there was ever a soldier who had all the advantages, it was Goliath. You ever read about him? The Bible said that his height, when you do the measurements, was that he was stood at nine foot nine inches tall. Nine foot nine inches tall. How many of you here would want to fight John? He made John look like a little guy. And friends, I don't know about y'all, John picks me up and with no problem at all. And I'm not going to tell you how much weight I am. But guys, listen. This guy comes out and he defies the army of the living God. He, he, he calls them out. He says, any man who'll come fight me one-on-one. -on -one. Now, not only was he big, but he was well-trained and well-known for his expertise in warfare. He had a spear that had a spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. <laughs> Can you imagine getting stuck with a 15-pound spearhead? He had another man that carried his shield. He was armored head to toe with a helmet, and they all are looking at him, shaking in their boots. You know who was scared? Saul was scared, the king. You know who else was scared? Abner was scared, the, the commander of the Lord's army. He's in the tent with Saul saying, what we going to do? They ain't none of us can fight him. How many of you got a giant today that you think you can't fight? How many of you got something in your life that torments you, that tells you you're not worth anything, that you can't win the fight, that even though you think you have a God, I defy you and your God. It may be an addiction. It may be a relationship. It may be a weakness that you're ashamed of. It may be something that makes you feel inferior, that makes you feel that you're unusable for God, and the giant keeps taunting you. That's what was going on. There ain't a man in Israel who I won't fight. Send him out. Goliath is taunting them. Abner's scared. Every man in the army is full of fear. They go out every day for 40 days in a row. How stupid, how ridiculous. And you say, that's dumb, but how dumb are you? How many times do you stand and cower down over and over and over 
over things that Jesus defeated 2,000 years ago on the cross. That Jesus has delivered you from and set you free from. Boy, it's quiet in here tonight. But all kidding aside, the world's champion is always intimidating. He always looks invincible. He always looks like he's so beyond my ability to deal with. And he always is a blowhard. (laughs) He loves to be seen. He loves to be recognized. And he loves people to know that I am a giant warrior. I'm undefeated. And I'll take on any foe. They're all quaking in their boots. So here he is. He's an errand boy now. He's bringing groceries to his brothers. And he gets there and his brothers are there. And David comes up. And he hears them, what's going on. And this is where I want to pick up the story. You see, he's nothing but a shepherd boy. Goliath is a warrior. Now I want us to look at God's champion. You see, God's champion is nothing like the world's champion. God's champion is David, a boy shepherd. You know, you can study and try to find out how old he is. No one thinks he was past probably 16 years old. But he was a young teenager. Kind of be like Aiden. How old are you, Aiden? 16, I knew it. All right. Now, how would you like to stick Aiden? Who in here likes to fight? (laughs) Who would you least want to fight? How many of you want to fight John? So if we put John right here and Aiden right here, who would bet on Aiden in a wrestling match this morning? Aiden said he would. Guys, you know what? To the world's eyes, it always looks like they're a fool to believe in this God. They ain't nothing but a weak, foolish, lowly nothing. And that's just what God said that he's looking for. And when he found David, he did find a fool. David was foolish enough to believe in his God. David was crazy enough to stand before Goliath. Now we look at that and we see David after But guys, David is unknown. No one knows who Jesse is. No one knows who David is. David shows up. They hear him talking. And they said, have you not heard whoever fights this man and defeats him, the king's going to make him his son-in-law. He's going to free his family from paying taxes. David begins to ask about it. His own brothers look at him and said, shut up. We know who you are. You're not going to do anything. And listen what happens. Verse 31 of 17. Now the words which David spoke were heard, and they reported them to Saul, and Saul sent for David. Now can you imagine? Saul is in the tent, the command post, with Abner. Abner's the general. He said, I ain't fighting him. The king said, well, I surely ain't fighting him. Do we have a man that'll fight him? Forty days ain't one, one volunteer jet. All of a sudden, the news comes back. We got a man who will fight the Goliath of Philistine. He's coming. Saul's excited. Can you imagine? He's probably hoping he's bigger than Goliath. He's hoping. In walks David. Where's your weapons? He's got a sling and a stick and an empty bag. He ain't even got no bullets. And he tells him, fear not, king, for I will fight this foe of Israel. Listen to what he says, verse 32. Then David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him 
your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David says to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. (laughs) David's not ashamed of where he came from. He's not trying to say, man, my daddy is one of the recognized tribes. No, my daddy's just a sheep herder. (laughs) And I used to work for him. In fact, I still do. And listen what David says. He says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of its flock, I went out after it and I struck it. And I delivered the lamb from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its head, beard, and I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised, heathen, pagan Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. You see, it wasn't against David. It was against God. And I want you to see, David says, moreover, in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So what did Saul do? He said, certainly you can't go unprepared, and that's what the world thinks. You know, actually, I believe God could have let David win without a sling, without a stick. He could have just thrown that rock. <laughs> but you know what? Saul gave David all of his weapons. Because that's what Saul was trusting in. He was trusted in his sword, in his chariots. He was trusted in the provision of his natural resources, and he had forgot that he was the king of the living God. And that he served to protect and lead the people of the kingdom of God. And he was quaking in his boots, so what's he depending on? Take my sword, take my helmet, David puts them on, tries them on they didn't feel right you know what he didn't feel right because David was a shepherd boy (laughs) he was an untrained he wasn't a warrior you know what David said I can't wear these and you know what he says don't miss it if you read it later he said because I they have not been tested I said why did they pick the word tested because you see he had tested that stick (laughs) he had tested that sling (laughs) he had tested a rock he knew where to get a rock He knew how to fill that shepherd bag up, but he hadn't tested the weapons that the world trusts in. David said, I don't need these. He gave them back, and he went out to meet the Philistine. The Bible says that when he went out, he passed the brook, and he picked up five stones. I've studied, I've read, I've looked everywhere to find out why he picked up five. Nobody knows. But it does tell me one thing. Even though David believed in his God, he didn't really believe that it was going to take one stone. David had a backup. He took the plug out. (laughs) He had five in it. Amen? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So he goes up to meet Goliath. Now, what did Goliath do? Goliath was insulted. He became indignant. And because he was insulted, he began to belittle David, and he began to laugh at him. And that's just what the world does the church. Just what it does preachers like me. That's just what it does the cross of our Savior. Because the Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power 
of God. They can't see it. They can't believe it. But guys, I'm here to tell you today, there's some of us here who knows what it's like to go from the sheepfold to stand for God and have God stand with you. We started out singing that song, Standing on the Promises. God promised us a long time ago, if you'll stand for me, I'll stand with you. But what do we do? We quake, we shut up. We shut up when we ought to speak up. We back up when we ought to move up. And we run backwards when we ought to run forward. You know what I like about it is he began to taunt David. David begins to defend not David. David begins to defend the God of Israel. And you know what's wrong with the church today? We're too busy defending ourselves when we ought to be standing up for our God. And friends, listen what he says. It says that as David began to confront this guy, this warrior, it says in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand. A sling, just a couple pieces of string with a little leather pouch. And he went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you would come to me with a stick? And David says, no. He says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I'm not coming to you with a stick. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beast of the earth that all, and I want you to notice this, God's champions always gives glory to the Lord, not themselves. Any church that is about getting glory for the church, any leader that is about getting glory for himself, we are not here to get recognition, to get pats, to get praise. We are here to bring glory to the one who called us. And when you do that, he'll be with you just like he was with David. And friends, David looked at him. He said, you have defied the Lord of Israel. That all the earth, look at the bottom of verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly, all these men who's been standing here for 40 days and 40 nights, poking out their chest, braggadociously threatening one another, but cowardly doing nothing, but boasting with no backup. He said, all of them's going to know after the day, Goliath, that there is a God in Israel. And it says, and David put his hand in his bag, he took out his stone, and he put it in his sling, and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into the forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. I want you to think about this this morning. David is standing there. The verse right before that, I love it. They began to come towards one another. And as they began to go, the Bible says that David began to run toward him. I bet when old Goliath bowed up and roared and took his sword and, his sword, and he began to go toward Goliath, David, the last thing he expected that little boy to do was run toward him. But can you see David's running? He's got that thing slinging. You know, Goliath's just sitting there thinking, 
I'm fixing to feed him to the birds. And all of a sudden, David gets about that far from him, and he stops. In the name of Jesus, who? Paul! Goliath don't even know what happened. One moment he's thinking, this is fixing to be fun. The next minute he's thinking, I'm in hell. This ain't fun. He's laying on his face or on his back with a rock between his eyes. You know what I think David did? I love this picture. I believe David walked up to him. I just love this man. I bet David was saying, God, I tried to warn him. (laughs) I tried to tell him he wouldn't listen. He's probably sitting there thinking, God, you did it. I don't know what he's thinking, but that reminds me of what I would be thinking. And there's Goliath. And you know what he did? He took off his head with his own sword. He took his armor. He brought him to his tent. And he took the head to his king. And he put it in his capital. And he said, the enemy has been slayed. How many of you slayed a giant lately? Friends, listen, God's not looking for mighty men. He's looking for men who believe in a mighty God. He's not looking for men who think they're strong and they can handle everything. He's looking for a person who realized that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But that if I am connected to him like the branch to the vine, I can bear fruit, much fruit. But also they realize that in Christ Jesus, we can do all things. Friends, this morning, there's some people that are contending with some giants. Lostness is a giant. It screams into the heart of the lost soul that you're unworthy, you're no good. God doesn't want you. God can't help you. And it convinces you to stay there realizing that you're not right with God. This morning as Jonathan comes up, he's going to start playing softly. Why he's playing softly If you today know that you're not right with God, that is a mighty giant to have to deal with every day. To be tormented, to be in your guilt, to still be ashamed and not know the release and the freedom and the pardon that Calvary has for you, that you're saved by grace. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not by works. It's by faith. It's not of yourself lest you have anything to boast in. It's all because of God and what he did for you. God has whooped the lion. He has whooped the bear. But more than that, he's whooped the giant. And you can be saved today. You've got to trust enough to do like David. He stepped out and faced that giant. There's people in here today, you're saved, maybe you're lost. And there's giants in your life. There's disappointments. There's failures. There's things that happen that you didn't expect to happen. Life didn't go the way you anticipated and it's got you locked down and you're held bondage of your past and the past is a mighty giant. Can I get an amen? And that giant reminds you of what you're not. But God sent me here today to tell you that what you can be That what you are in Christ, you are a victor. That God leads us in triumph. And he gives us victory through Christ. And there's not a sin that can hold you. There's not a habit that can keep harming you. There's not a problem that he hasn't already fixed for you. Jesus, my friend, is the the, the giant slayer. When David faced him, he didn't face him in himself. He faced him in the name 
and in the power of his God. And God today will fix whatever's ailing you. But you can't just keep quaking. You can't be like, you came to church today. You came to the front line. You bowed up. You looked across the valley. You said, we've come to fight. But today I want to ask you, will you? Will you fight for your family? Will you fight for your church? Will you fight for your life? Will you get out of your pew and get on an altar and say, God, help me. I've come today to be free, to have victory. I've come to be a winner for Christ. Because that's what Jesus died for, to give us victory and to set us free. Friends, I'm here to tell you today that victory is a decision away for some of us. Will you believe in him? Will you trust him? We're going to stand. Jesus is here today. I don't know what giant has you in the fear, in the grip of his lies, but today you could be set free. Father, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lies of Satan. And Lord, I stand against the weakness of the flesh. And I know that in your spirit, there is strength and power and liberty to be victorious. Lord, I know there's people who have things in their life that they wish wasn't there, but they keep allowing it to have victory over and over again. I say today, Lord, that in Christ someone will be set free. Lord, there's a lost man who doesn't know he's saved, he's undone. They've been religious, they've been good, they've been trying to do it, but deep down in their heart, they know that there's a giant over them of guilt and unforgiveness, and they're separated from you. Lord, I pray today that they'll come home that you'll save them, Lord, by your grace. And for those of us, Lord, who need you today, I pray that we'll come and lay our burdens at your feet. In Jesus' name. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here Sunday after Sunday we hear a word from God but I want to ask you did you really come to meet God today to have God meet with you to God intervene in your life look there's people at the altar these are brave people these are courageous people these are people who are willing to say I'm not perfect I need help these are people who are saying Lord here I come will you bless me will you help me friends listen you can stay in a pew I'm not saying that God can't change you in a pew but if God's telling you to come Come as an act of humility. Come as an act of faith and bow to me. And I will stand for you. I'd come, amen. I'd listen. Friends, we're so caught up in our church and our religion. What would they think? The last thing I'd be worried about is what they think. I'd be worried about what God knows. And I'd be worried about what I know in my heart. And I'd say, Lord, I want to be free.
Friends, this is a place where people get set free. Or why are we here? This is why we exist. Too many of our families are listening and acting like the world and they get the results of the world when God has revived for us the abundant life. So I'm calling you in Jesus' name. Don't underestimate. Maybe you want to pray with me. Maybe you want to pray with my wife. Maybe there's somebody in here you want to pray for, but I'm here to tell you, you can leave different than you come, but if it's business as usual, you'll get the same results. God has spoke this morning. The question of the moment is, will we listen? He's calling you. Let's Let's listen to the Spirit today as He 